0: Welcome into this Sun Devil Source Report podcast. I'm Zane Hope and joined by Chris Cartman and Kaylin Jones. As always, today we're going to recap ASU's loss to Texas Tech on their first road trip, and we're going to get a little bit into the Oregon game, but we're going to save most of that for our premium podcast that'll come later in the week. But for now, fellas, how are we doing? I'm doing good, man. How you been? I'm pretty good, Chris. Picture me rolling. <laughs> Picture me rolling. <laughs> All right, and Texas Tech was rolling against uh, ASU Ooh. on Saturday Segway. with their their 52. Sweet. Thank you guys, 52 to 45 victory. Uh, ASU put themselves in a hole early, down 21 to three after the third quarter. Eventually, rallied back after a strong third quarter in which they scored three touchdowns, uh, tied it up with a fourth consecutive touchdown on their first drive of the fourth quarter. But uh, after that, the offense kind of froze, uh, thanks to a sack by uh, for Manny Wilkins. They really only tallied up negative one yards. Since that last touchdown, Um, and then Texas Tech sealed the deal with a 90-yard 12-play drive that lasted about four and a half minutes, uh, ending, obviously, with the touchdown from their tight end on third and goal. Just a receiver playing tight end, by the way. Receiver playing tight end. They didn't even have a tight end. (laughs) It was a hell of a play call, too.
1: Great play call. First time they used that formation all game.
0: Yeah, no, really, that was the first time under center, too. Correct. Yeah, Yeah. the only time they went under center, uh, right there on the goal line. Um, Nick Shimanek had a crazy game. Obviously everyone has nightmares still about Pat Mahomes and what he did last year, despite the victory, but uh Shimanek was 37 of 50, 543 yards, six touchdowns That's and, insane. uh, didn't turn the ball over, but Manny Wilkins had a good game as well. 27 completions on 41 attempts, 326 yards and three touchdowns. And again, no interceptions. Um, and now we, we'd found out after the game that AS, uh, that uh, Manny had tied an ASU record with 149 straight completions without an interception. That was Rudy Carpenter's record set back in the 05-06 season, and that's that's pretty impressive. And really, has kind of gone overlooked. I still think it's gone overlooked how well yeah. he's played.
2: Yeah, I, I think it has, and I think I mentioned it like on our first podcast, either our season preview or a different episode. But I, I said, you know, there, after the first game, you're getting peak Manny Wilkins. He could be, and you know. The upper half of Pac-12 quarterbacks, maybe creeping into the top four conversation. He's played like a top four Pac-12 quarterback this season. I don't think there's any question about that.
1: I agree. Um, going back to something we've we've touched on in previous podcasts and talked about a lot in our content. Um, if if you would have known that Manny Wilkins had played to the level that he had through the first three games of the season, yeah. you would probably say ASU was three and zero, two and two and one at worst, right? Mm-hmm. Um, his passer rating is up like 30 something points over what he finished last year. Um, he's right there. Um, he's probably not, you know, the top of the food chain in the Pac-12, but he's he's solidly in that next tier as a quarterback. Mm-hmm. Uh, most important thing is is Togram always talks about, we want to take care of the football. We don't we don't want to turn it over, have jeopardy throws, make bad decisions. Manny Wilkins has done that and Wilkins is his first to admit this week um, talking with the reporters after Tuesday's practice that there were some throws that he missed or you know, did, took a sack that he probably shouldn't have. Those are smaller things. It's not the, the big things he's actually doing at a pretty high level. I've been impressed. I, I know that you guys have been. Graham said that Texas Tech may have been his, his best game. That came in a loss, so he's going to be disappointed about it. Um, but when you look at Wilkins coupled with the emergence of some of the receivers, we're going to talk about that later on, and um, their capability with their backs – um, the, the potential is there for this offense to actually really get it going if they can continue to make strides up front. Mm-hmm. Manny
0: Wilkins, you know, just looking at the stats right now across the conference, he's a third in passing yards per game, um, fourth in passing efficiency, you know, in that company with Josh Rosen, Sam Darnold, Luke Falk, Jake Browning, and those – That's know, not a bad company. You know, we call elite quarterbacks of the Pac-12. Um, you know, Manny Wilkins, you know, on the verge of 1,000 yards already on the season – uh, is there anything else we that ASU can really ask of him at this point? Um, I don't, I don't know if.
2: And we talk about you know taking the next step into the next tier, which I don't think would you know would be in I guess like his quarterback career path. Um, I I didn't. Th- I don't foresee him taking the next step as being an elite passer, but uh, you and I mentioned it before the podcast, saying, like, as far as his mental processing of the game, maybe, um, you know, getting better in terms of his footwork within the pocket and then being able to extend plays, you know, and freelance as a passer instead of just tucking and running. I, I think maybe that's areas he can improve, but. I, again, I think this is the best you can possibly ask of this guy to play.
1: There was a, to that point, there was a, f- a few times in which he actually did that in the game. The mm-hmm. Kyle Williams, Suttergo, Late,
2: late pass the, the Harvey in the game, too. And the late you know, pass found, to Harvey,
1: yeah. where there were times where he still maintained his ability to be a thrower. Stepped up into the pocket, avoided some pressure, mm-hmm. made throws down the field. That's sort of the next step. Uh, he did a good job of identifying coverages pre-snap, knowing how to target zones on the perimeter, um, I think you know getting to a spot more consistently inside the pocket so that uh, pocket utilization I mean those things are, yep. are going to be really important uh, and then continuing to to improve his processing of getting from one to three to a checkdown um, that those are areas where he's always sort of not been as 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 good as some of these elite players are probably. Um, and situational feel and knowledge, but I would say that to this point, he's certainly exceeded the expectations that we have.
0: Mm-hmm. And and kind of to piggyback off of that, uh, you talk about the processing and the the mental part of being a quarterback for Manny Wilkins. You know, we we started, you know, we skimmed through the Texas Tech game before media availability today, and there were a couple of plays where we were like, you know, why is he wanting to go here? This guy's open. This guy's open. Where to he go here? And it seems like a lot of it's predetermined. So what? A lot of it. What I guess can he do? is it a freedom thing? Is it a confidence thing? What what do you guys feel about that?
2: I think it's his first year within this offensive scheme. So I, I think it's, you know, it, it's gonna come with the territory that he, he eases into feeling the most comfortable within the system and maybe being willing to take more chances. But I, I think it is more so on, you know, the coaches at this point, as far as, you know, willing being willing to let him have an extended leash. I think he's shown that he's been you know, careful with the football, isn't put the ball in jeopardy much too often throughout the year, and you know, I, I think maybe that is the next step in his maturation of the quarterback. But uh, it's really up to the coaches to determine that.
1: I think that it, I think it's the the chess match of a quarterback. It's basically chess on the field. It's uh, this is what I'm seeing pre snap, what I think is going to happen, but and then. Uh, post-snap, wanting to go there and hanging too long onto that. Whereas the best elite quarterbacks, and you get to the NFL level and you see all the separation, they've already worked through all the scenarios in their head of if the defense does this, even though I think I'm seeing this, pre snap to what I'm what app actually this becomes in terms of the defensive shell and formations, then I know that this receiver is going to become open or this receiver is going to become open. I think what we're seeing is there's a little bit too long of holding on to the number one and trying to make what you thought was going to be the play pre snap into the play as opposed to being able to understand oh, they actually did this, which means I got to get to this Mm -hmm. other receiver, this other option, and have that happen more quickly. And this is actually something, Zane, that Manny talked about today uh, as we're taping this on Tuesday. He said, I'm studying the best quarterbacks Mm -hmm. to figure out okay, what are they seeing and, and, and why and how? And then he even went to Tony Romo. To, uh, you know, the big thing in the last couple of weeks is how Romo has been able to predict what's coming from his first season up in the the booth uh, calling games as part of the broadcast team. I think that's what Manny Wilkins is now starting to see. He, he said he's no longer watching the game through the enjoyment of the games. It, that's it's That's been removed from him. He's now watching the games to figure out all the things that the great players actually are seeing yep. and doing. So that's the next stage, of of the game, and I think it's really it's chess. It's 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 all how all the pieces set up on the board, and what that what situations that present to you within a play. Mm. And this season especially, Manny has
0: some pretty good pieces. I mean, Graham has talked about, and Coach has talked about how talented this wide receiver group is, and we really got our first glimpse of that in the Texas Tech game with uh, Kyle Williams, uh, two touchdowns with 111 yards on seven catches. You know, Nikhil Harry. I believe had 148, 148 yes, yards receiving. Mm-hmm. Uh, he had a touchdown and then Frank Darby, you know, it counted as a rushing touchdown, but he got in the end zone on one touch as well. You know, those are just three of the guys, but you know, we kind of grouped them together cause they're in the same recruiting class and that's pretty remarkable. They still have, I mean, at most two seasons here together. I mean, yep. I think it's fair to assume Nikhil might be gone <laughs> sooner than, than later, but I'm not going right. to make any assumptions, <laughs> but he certainly seems ready. But you know, this wide receiver group is special, and it finally seems like they kind of are breaking through the surface of what they can really do this season.
2: Yeah, it really looks like they are. And, you know, that, like you mentioned, Zane, that was a talking point during the offseason as far as being a strength of this team. And what's weird is that we really thought this would be more of a supplemental piece, you know, to ASU's running game. Uh, we assumed that ASU would be a, you know, primarily, you know, run first and then really play action passes. as Todd Graham has mentioned over and over again, is his offensive philosophy. But... Just the fact that the in the absence of their running game, they've been able to hang in games and really you know, have an explosive type of offense despite not having a running game because of what their passing game has been able to do. And sure, you can credit that to Manny Wilkins' growth because we're not going to deny he hasn't grown at all, but he definitely uh, is helped and aided by having such a wealth of weapons
1: around him. Here's what I really took away from this last game in this respect. So John Humphrey goes out. He's hurt. He can't play. Uh, clearly, he and Akil Harry were one and two with their top receivers right. in some order. Uh, Kyle Williams, in the first couple games, they're using him on jet sweeps, uh, you know, quick bubbles, things that don't necessarily require you to run the most intricate or precise routes releasing down the football field. Then we come to this game. They kick him to the outside because John Humphrey can't play. Uh depth chart to start the season had Ryan Newsome ahead of John Humphrey. Remember that Mm -hmm. by ASU? We were like kind of surprised by that. Didn't make sense. (laughs) But instead it's Kyle Williams who gets moved from an inside receiver slot position to a, to that Z position. And now all of a sudden he's running stutter goes, he's running like these really complex routes. He ran like a, a route that could have been sold as a post or a corner and it ends up being a comeback on a curl. Um, He's catching the ball with with, with with pace thrown at him, with his hands extended out. And I'm saying to myself, wow, this is a guy's second year. They had tinkered with him on defense right okay. last year. Um, he's athletic. He's got some speed. He's quick. He's smart. He may be their best blocker. I would say their best perimeter blocker as a receiver. Um, and now all of a sudden he shows that he has this Additional capability as a route runner. My gosh, uh, Kyle Williams is about to be a star player at ASU. That's the way I, f- I feel about him coming after this game. And sure, you could say, well, Texas Tech's defense is not very good, they're bad. Right. Okay, that's true. He still ran those routes and still made those plays. Mm-hmm. and for just being your second year and the way that they've tinkered with you and the the changing of uh, one wide receivers coach to another and all the other external variables that he's had to deal with. I was very impressed. Now imagine what happens knowing that you have this capability with Kyle Williams, knowing what you have with Nikhil Harry. And then let's say you get John Humphrey back in a week or two. Yeah. And then you have the big play capability of a Frank Darby, right? You have Jalen Harvey's uh, versatility, his strength as a blocker, his his adaptability to what you're trying to do within your scheme. This is why we talked so much at the outset of the season about how this was ASU's best wide receiver group in years in terms of their athleticism, their depth, their capability, and now we're seeing it actually play out on the field, which um, I don't think to us is really that big of a surprise. No,
0: and you know, all those guys you named, you didn't even mention the guy who's atop of the depth chart,
1: Ryan Newsom. Yeah, which is crazy, right? Because he, everyone, <laughs> they, they, they talked about him like he was going to be, you know, a, a, a key cog. And did he have any catches in that game? No, he was just out there returning punts. Uh, yeah, yeah, returning punts, and he had, a, looked he had good. Yeah, he he, he looked good. Yeah. but you know, he had the the what do you have a hamstring or quad injury or whatever it was start yeah, the, the season. Of so he was unfortunate in, in terms of the start. But they, but to their overall unit it doesn't really affected them. In the past, you lose John Humphrey, caliber player. Yeah, and that, that, there and, goes your receiving core. And you're now in the mm-hmm. world of hurt. Didn't happen in this game. And that and and Nikhil Harry, yeah, the dude's a grown-ass man. <laughs> I mean, come on. like, <laughs> you, like you throw up 50-50 balls, it's like 90-10 balls yeah, for no, him. Manny, Manny 100. said 100-0. Right? Yeah, 100 and zero. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, maybe that's a little bit of an exaggeration. But, but yeah, yeah. Um, that that I mean yeah it's okay Texas Tech you got to put it in perspective really impressive and uh, and once again the skill position talent is not is not the problem mm-hmm. and you
0: mentioned the way they used Kyle Williams in the first couple of games with with sweeps and now they're kind of you know like you said pushing him more vertical but in this Texas Tech game it seemed like they were putting Kyle Williams in motion just about every other play for those run pass option plays mm-hmm. and that and that really seemed to open up the run game.
2: Yeah, and it really did, and that's something that even Jalen Harvey, just talking to him earlier today at practice, he he said that ASU is kind of, the offensive turned into a pass to run as opposed to being a run-to-pass offense, and to your point, Zane, like in the past couple of seasons, we've seen ASU, as Todd Graham has said before, they run in order to pass, and a lot of things in the past were set up through that read option, uh, that RPO stuff that was really highly implemented by uh, Chip Lindsey last season, but Again, to that point though, when you have as many weapons and people or personnel that you have uh, as a defense, you have to watch and take account for when they're being motioned around in the backfield. I think that does set up everything else for your offense, especially if you have to care about what's happening on the perimeter going east to west, whatever's happening within the trenches. Uh, if you're able to you know, have a, a receiver in motion like Kyle Williams go left to right, a defense attracts over to him, sets up everything on the opposite side or in the middle of the field. So there's where your run game can succeed.
1: I think this offense actually reminded me more of what we saw from Mike Norvell uh, at, at times. The, the uh, Gus Malzahn offense is, from a run play standpoint, you run a lot of power. Uh, and then when defenses bring an extra defender in the box, that power turns into buck sweep on the perimeter with the, the, the pulling out of players. Now, they didn't really get into the buck sweep because they didn't really have to, although I would say that they probably should have considered that at some point in time, where, you, where you, some of those runs, instead of being inside... Uh, man runs became more outside on the perimeter and be able to get the, get their backs more into space that's sort of the next uh evolution of it but i thought this was a developmental game in in a standpoint of even though texas tech is, is bad at defending the run and, and even though asu didn't have necessarily the highest run per per carry uh average and there were still some struggles it it it, it gave them uh A mid-level launching point to go from here to the next place in their run game. So they did really build off of that. The motions they they tell you if if the opponent's in man or zone, and then that gives you additional clues and keys. The touchdown in Nikhil Harry. um, they motion Kyle Williams to trips, bunch set becomes a triangle concept. Two guys go with with Harvey. Nobody goes with Harry, and he's he's free. Wilkins spots it right away, and that's a touchdown. Um, Wilkins finally like looking more in the zone read keeper stuff, the way that you probably used Taylor Kelly a couple years ago. Um, I think some of those things. They just got lost in the wash a little bit with the with Chip Lindsey's offense, in just in translation last year, and the the lack of continuity, um, of offensive, coordinators and and schemes and styles. I think that's kind of hurt them to some degree, last year and then and then a little bit into this year, but um, there w- there was progress. And Kalen was first to point out that Demario Richard looked a lot more spry. On the field yeah, in does. that game, which I completely agree with when I saw him, him, him put that up on Twitter. The 2015 version of DiMario, lighter, yeah. yeah. quicker-legged, um, all that stuff was, was, was there. They just weren't able to fully take advantage of that. But... That is something else that sort of bodes well for them moving forward. And then Kalen Bellage two or three occasions where first contact doesn't take him down, including short yardage to gain situations, goal line situations the where he gets... The down
2: conversion or whatever it was out the sparky formation. Yes,
1: he gets the extra. Yeah. The one on the goal line, he gets a little bit extra. So there's some little things that you could grasp onto as the examples of something that are progress.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, obviously a lot of progress in the offense, but... Um, I don't know if you could say the same about the defense I mean obviously Texas Tech an explosive offense 52 points is no fluke they do that to virtually everyone but I mean for the first time we really saw changes really made in the defense I mean Phil Bennett was pretty reluctant. I don't know if reluctance is even the right word yeah. to to make subs. Yeah, I think it's the exact right <laughs> word. He was like highly reluctant <laughs> <laughs> to make su- in those first couple of games. And you know, obviously Crump going down with that knee injury hurt him a lot. They tried three guys at Devil. Obviously settled on Abraham Thompson at the end of the game. Uh, Joey Bryant. I I really don't get why they did this. Pulled him. Put Chase Lucas in. I mean, it didn't it didn't come back to bite him. Obviously, I think Chase was fine, but... It, you would have stuck with Joey Bryant. I don't That's know. Okay? I, I, I would have. I mean, yeah, the way he played he the played, first two yeah. games, he was probably the best tackling DB in your secondary the you first two games. You would have stuck with Joey Bryant?
2: I, I think I would have, but... I, I, again, like Zane said, I, I I don't think the change was, you know... Necessary. Good, good or bad. It didn't I, affect him either way.
1: I, th- I think... I actually disagree. I think that they... I think Chase, Wil- Chase Lucas did a little bit better than what Joe. They were they were starting to really get after Joey Bryant, and it's not that he was performing poorly. I don't think that he was performing right, that's, really well. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. At at where they were at in the season, you know, especially when you're when you're trailing, you're behind, you've lost a game already. It's looking like you may lose another game. You might as well see if somebody another DB helps you. Right. Or maybe if that DB help, looks good, that maybe that gives you more a broader capability and what you want to do moving forward with some nickel packages or, or whatever else is the case. So I don't really necessarily have a problem with, with it. Uh, but that also doesn't mean that I think that Joey Bryant has been bad. I think Joey mm-hmm. Bryant's been pretty good. And, yeah, they're going to they're gonna hit you a couple of times on the perimeter when you're playing Texas Tech.
2: Yeah, my thing was I thought Kobe Williams was going to be if, – if either one of those two DBs were going to be subbed, I thought it was going to be Kobe Williams because he was so tiny going up against Texas Tech's huge receivers. Whenever they'd throw a little, little uh, pass into the flat, yeah. he'd be getting dragged 10, 15 yards yes. down the field and getting shielded out where he can't affect the play. That's
1: a, that's a very good point is that – a lot of their success was action to the field where receivers were blocking, yeah. and Chad Adams and and, and yeah <laughs> and, and Chad Adams and Kobe Williams weren't able to get off blocks to get to the football and make mm-hmm. plays. I mean that's I mean that's totally reasonable. Mm-hmm. And
0: and then the third notable sub we we put on here was Demonte King coming in for Daz Hadlatisi, which I mean Daz Daz started out the season strong, but it, again like we'd always talked about, it's kind of hard to tell really how well the secondary was playing. When you're playing a team like New Mexico State, obviously not the most talented, mm-hmm. and then San Diego State, who's very run heavy.
2: Yeah, and you know when when we saw when excuse me when we talked with Daz about like playing Texas Tech, one of the things he said he admitted he's like uh, it's going to be tough going up against Texas Tech's air raid because there's, it's a little bit more complex. And we saw it during the game he got caught up on that hitch and go route mm-hmm. that ended up costing a issue later on in the second half. Um and and I mean it's understandable when the way that Phil Bennett and Todd Graham talked about the King, he sounds like he's a serviceable player. Uh, when Zane and I were going back over the game before, we saw how they were utilizing um, him both you know towards the line of scrimmage as a blitzer. He looked pretty solid in pass pro or excuse me, pass defense. So it, it made sense for the substitute, especially the way that Daz wasn't taking you know the strongest of angles in run defense, and then in pass defense was struggling a bit when he's left in single high coverage.
1: He had that one. In the first half, he had a really bad rep. Speaking of uh, Latassi here, he had that one really bad rep where he was tentative, trying to bring the the the, the guy with the ball down in space. Mm-hmm. He was retreating, and then that, that 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 was bad. Then he had the. Um, uh, was it Latasi or Rhodes who stumbled in like an An1 mixtape play? Yeah, it was Rhodes. <laughs> it was Rhodes. Yeah, <laughs> sorry, uh, sorry. But I think Rhodes played you know reasonably well. Other than that, yeah. but then Tauschelatasi was in cover three. He he gives up the, the the hitch and go. Like you said, that was a touchdown when he can't get beat vertically. I think he just there were some pursuit issues. Yeah. It's not the right style of opponent for him to really flourish against. Yeah, because he's not really rangy. He's not a rangy coverage. Yeah. Defensive back, which is what you really need at that position. He's more of a run, fit guy into the boundary. And so I think playing DeMonte King was was smart. I, I actually think they probably should have gone to him earlier. I think that was one thing that they probably should have done earlier. Um and I thought he played reasonably well. You guys mentioned he blitzing. He showed some 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 violence as a blitzer physically. He came up and, and, and put his helmet in there yeah. on a couple of plays. And then I think his coverage ability is probably a little bit better than Tauro Latossi. So I wouldn't at all be surprised if moving forward, especially against teams that like to, to air the ball out and throw it around the yard, if we see more DeMonte King.
0: Mm-hmm. And we, we talk about the secondary, and we put a piece on the site yesterday about ASU on third down, obviously – a point of their struggles, um, ASU opponents have converted on 12 of 29 third downs of uh, seven yards or more, and they're three for six on third and 15 or more. And uh, that obviously warrants a lot of questions. But the one main one that we seem to have is why won't Phil Bennett go nickel?
2: I don't get it. And you know, to that point of substance, subst- or subbing out um, Joey Bryant to bring in Chase Lucas and. Why not have all three of them on the field at the same time? You know, one of them should be able to play in the slot. I, I thought, and forgive me if I'm wrong, I thought at Camp 2 we did see Kobe or Kobe Bryant, Kobe Williams play within the slot. I did slot. that last podcast. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's, it's pretty easy to do that. Yeah. I, I, I could have sworn that we've seen Kobe Williams take reps out of the slot. And to be honest, like, I think that's where he would flourish the most in comparison to being left out in the middle of the field and having teams, you know, run the ball at you or, dump the ball off the receiver and let another receiver shield you off completely.
1: We did see it. We also saw uh, John Humphrey go over there and play uh, nickel. Uh, um, That's right. (laughs) What Texas Tech really had a lot of success with in this game, as you guys saw it pretty clearly, was Kiki Cutie um, had 12 catches, 186 yards. A lot of that was underneath action where he's matched up in one-on-ones against DJ Calhoun or Christian Sam, but mostly Calhoun. That wasn't by coincidence. By design, they're 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 identifying their matchups that that give them an advantage. Mm-hmm. They're targeting them. Now, does that mean that you should take off DJ Calhoun on first and second down? No, but on third down, situationally, yeah. <laughs> get another defensive back out there. And understand they're not going to throw the ball. Texas Tech is not. Pardon me. They're not going to run the ball. Texas Tech is not running the ball on any third down. Of three yards or more. Like, almost ever if you look at it, right? Right. So bring another defensive back on the field that gives you more range and ability to cover, gives you uh, a quicker access to the quarterback if you decide to blitz there. It's not like DJ Calhoun has been at the quarterback at all this year, right? So... I agree with you guys. I don't get why you're not playing a little bit more nickel against this team. Jamarcus Rhodes had one drop in zone to this point where he looked very much more like a linebacker than he looked Dead like a defensive back. back. Like yeah. He didn't get to the spot and get a deflection like he probably could have. And that isn't to say that he didn't play well because he actually really did – but I think you need to figure out a little bit more creativity with some of the personnel that you have.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And then to your point, too, there, so many of their plays, their Texas Tech plays, were vertical routes where you'd have four root combos who were going 15 yards down the field. And then the running back would come into the backfield and bat, match up against the linebacker. And I think you pointed out, Chris, on one of those key like third or fourth downs, Calhoun or Sam, they got caught up watching the receiver. And then going too far inside, and then the quarterback was able to dump it off to the running back who broke out into the open side of the field. So yeah, you
1: can still play underneath zone with defensive backs. With defensive backs who can make that play, who, you know? Who understand <laughs> how to, you know, and, they, and they're and rangier, you know? Yeah. And yeah, yeah. The, uh, to the third down and long and extra long struggles that they've had, the, I think that really comes down to they've been beaten in situations vertically where the defenders have the full. Length of the field in a zone. So if you're playing a cover three, you're playing cover four. You have the entirety of the field all the way to the to the right. end zone, in that zone. Right. And so a lot of times you're 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 bailing and you're retreating. You're you're not necessarily supposed to be trailing. Of course, uh, we did see uh, Joey Bryant trailing uh, Cantrell on that one third and seventeen. That was a touchdown right. in the back of the end zone. Great throw. He was a you know a hand away from from it. Right. Yeah. But if you are playing a a cover two man style of defense, mm-hmm. or even a cover one with a man style of defense. Which is what they were doing. You have high safety defenders who are going to be able to get over to those spots mm-hmm. when a guy like uh, Joey Bryan or or maybe Kobe Williams, who gave up a long one in the, in this game, when those things kind of break down, you have somebody who can get over to those places on the field. ASU hasn't played any of these really. S- single high center field zones or the two or the two man where you're playing man coverage and you have two guys who are able to close off the width of the field in those third and long situations. And there, there were some instances in this game and and even against San Diego state where that was very, a very appropriate type of coverage and not one that's the extra challenging to install and implement. And, and they didn't do that. And I think that that's causing them some of their problems with an inability to get off the field. So,
0: I guess going back to the nickel question, can you guys think of any reason why they wouldn't at this point?
2: They just don't trust them. Uh, They said that back in spring – or excuse me, not spring, but Camp T. That's why they tried out John Humphrey at nickel cornerback. And Todd Graham said it it was a possibility that they actually rolled that out during the regular season. Um, I I haven't seen them go into it. They haven't practiced it in front of us. So, it doesn't surprise me. They
1: said it then, and then they reaffirmed it after San Diego State. I asked Phil Bennett – in his weekly press conference, about the, the the game deciding play where they had third and extra long, Christian Sam comes off the back, they throw the the, the pass to the back and he runs yep. into the end zone. I asked about you know playing an extra defensive back. He said, "Well, you want to have your best players on the field. Well, your best your best eleven players on the field are not necessarily your best eleven players in third and fourteen yeah. or third and seventeen. Situational football. And I think that I think that they." aren't making the best decisions consistently uh, in those situations. And that's why three of six on third and 15 or longer. And one of the worst overall third down percentages, um, in the country in FBS. Now you have to contextualize that by saying that I actually think that they're doing better than last year defensively in Mm -hmm. terms of their structure and what they're trying to do on first and second downs. And it's not as crazy manic blitzing all the time. Um, but, if it, it, it literally five six plays in which they get off the field on third and long or extra long, better yeah. than they have been in the last two games, totally changes two games. Yeah, they probably are two, three now. zero. Yeah, three and zero. Mm-hmm. Five or six plays, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah, and and so so that's why it at least has to be a discussion point, and that's and that's what we're talking about here. Hmm. And it's like every day in practice,
0: we're seeing DJ Calhoun off to the side during during the punt team period with coach Bennett and it's usually Kobe Williams just working on drop zone coverages and it
1: it really seems like they're persistent to not go nickel. You you talk about them projecting their lack of comfort with something or an acknowledgement of what we actually need to work on. It's okay, DJ, today we're going to work on your drops again yeah. by yourself in, in in these one-on-ones with Phil Bennett like, you know, as your personal tutor. It's because they know that that's a challenge that they have to deal with. Well, if you know that, why don't you just bring another defense back on the field? At least try it and see what happens. Yeah. What is the problem? That's my thing. Like, why What's not try problem? Chase
2: Lucas, Joey Bryant on the outside, Kobe Williams in the slot? I mean, that's what we talked. That's what we, your, to that's your that's your what we were just talking about. The why fact not? that
0: you feel comfortable enough pulling Joey Bryant out, who's been your starter for the first <laughs> two games of the season, enough to put Chase Lucas in. Yeah. Yeah. Without, it you, like, I, yeah. It doesn't make no, sense. Like Yeah. It doesn't make sense. No, it know. does
1: hit a logical brick wall. Yeah. So we'll
0: see. I mean, using it against Oregon could be yes. something we end up seeing. Obviously, you know, more balanced than Texas Tech, but certainly
1: yeah, as explosive. Their, their run capability and how they can hit you on the perimeter with runs, and we'll talk about this a lot more in the premium podcast later in the week, but that presents additional challenges that probably make it hard for you to do it. Yeah, and, exactly. In the first, your first time. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, they'll, and they'll probably stick with base defense most of the game <laughs> probably meaning definitely
0: <laughs> uh we're, we're gonna get into Oregon a little bit in this uh in this podcast but before we do the last thing we're gonna do on this Texas Tech is kind of talk about the end of the game because you know like Chris mentioned on Twitter a bunch the fact that ASU seemed to have all momentum in the second half you know they score that touchdown to tie it up at 45 and then they just looked like a completely different team than what we saw, you know, in that second half.
2: Yeah, and to that point, the momentum really got killed. I think we were all discussing this when we were watching it over. Uh, that first series, after they got the ball back, they got stopped after they'd already tied the game, and they went with two run plays back to back on mm-hmm. first and second down. And it, or excuse me, the first play was an incompletion. The ballage, right? It went over his head, or one of those two plays. Yeah. But that sequence it didn't really make sense because the first play was really a short play. The next play was a really short play. And then they set themselves up for third and long and that got them into a hole. And I was really surprised that you didn't see ASU go back to what w- they were really succeeding at passing the ball downfield or even hitting the perimeter going to Nikhil Harry early in, um, in, in drives. And I, I don't know what to make of it. Um, it. It was kind of like a flat finish because they had done so much to get back into the game, you know, scoring 21, 28 points in that third quarter. And then just the, throw really up a dud in the seventh or excuse me the, the fourth quarter really cost them.
1: I just am really struck. Even now after I watched the game again, ASU scores touchdowns on four straight possessions down 18 ties the game. They're getting stops force Texas tech to, to punt the ball ASU starts at its own 38 or so yard mm-hmm. line. And I'm saying to myself, man, they're going to go down and score and, and they're going to take the lead. Even if it's a field goal, they're going to take the lead. And then I was just really surprised to not see that happen, right? And going through this, first and ten, they get a, a zone blocking inside. Demario Richard runs for five yards. Second and three, they get it stuffed up. Nobody gets a pull at the, to the second level on a, on a on a power play that had been working pretty successfully. Um but then then they're in a, a third and three situation, and I think this is where Manny Wilkins made a, a big mistake in the game. And he played a great game, but still in clutch key situations. You this gotta, is how the timeout, right? You got yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They, they they have a trips formation. They wanted a they wanted a bubble action to Harry on the perimeter. Wilkins looks there right away, doesn't throw it even though it's there.
2: I think it was designed for him to fake it there. That's because it, I think it was a decoy. I think it was. They were to trying then to then slip Kalen yeah, Balazs. Balazs on the right side on well, that wheel.
1: I don't. That may be true. Mm-hmm. But 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 is that the right situation for that yeah, on a third didn't and three? I think the play call was good. The ball is at the ASU forty-eight. Right. Right. ASU's already gone for it on fourth down on multiple times in this game, including from the, its own territory. Yeah. Right. You have to have the mindset of here of th- third and three. This is Texas Tech. We need to run two high percentage plays that get us a first down and keep the chains moving. And then we're 10, 15 yards away from, from field, right. ran- field goal range with Brandon Ruiz. But they didn't. They tried something that was – if they tried it something that, like you saying, which is very possible, right. where they were d- designed to make it uh, look like they were going to throw, like throw the bubble and then they yeah. didn't um, – that's too low percentage. Exactly. And their D tackle made a really nice play to hang with Balage and be disruptive on that play. But, man, the play call in that scenario I don't think is, is very good unless Manny Wilkins just made a mistake. When he really did have the ability to go to Harry, in which case he, he should have. So somewhere in there, it, it was a mistake. Then ASU, you know, it's four and three. They punt down to the 10-yard the line. You have to think at that point, I, I think it's reasonable to punt there because they've already had a bunch of stops in the second half. You have to think you're going to be able to do that. They don't get a stop. Texas Tech goes 90 yards, as you referenced earlier, Zane, takes a lead. And that puts ASU in a really bad situation with just a minute and 55 left on its final drive.
0: And that Texas Tech drive, you know like we talked about, was really looked too easy for them. And that the last that, one yeah, the 90 yeah. yard drive.
1: Yeah, well they there's only one there's only one real place in there where ASU had a great chance at a stop. It was a third and eight situation. This is where they rushed three. Camlin mentioned it earlier in the podcast. ASU rushes three. Todd Graham in this situation by the way, he's bringing six. He's like, I'm not I'm not going to sit back and let you yeah, dictate to me. Yeah, he's going to be aggressive. Sh- Sh- Shimanek held the ball for about five seconds on this play because the Russian three, nobody gets there. You wouldn't expect them to. ASU's in an underneath zone with Calhoun and Sam, but they get too bunched because of one receiver occupying them, mm-hmm. which opens a passing lane for where Shimanek goes with the football. If, if, if Christian Sam is, is literally a yard over more, He probably gets his hand on the ball or it's not even thrown there situationally. They complete that and then they go uh, first and 10, second and nine. Uh, They get the interference call with 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 Chad Adams, which I thought was kind of a borderline play. His left hand was on him. But, you know, I don't know if you call that in that situation. And then that turns into a, a back shoulder fade to Cantrell against Lucas, where the ball is really well located. Yeah. Cantrell was successful all game about that. Then ASU's defense is starting to look tired. It's a long drive. They've been on the field a lot. Stockton runs for eight yards. Uh, then they run this bubble to to, to Cutie. Co- to uh, Rhodes can't get off the block. Again, they're probably tired. Then eventually you get it set up for that third and goal from the three that they punch in uh, for what proves to be the game winning touchdown. Just um, – I, I, ASU had that momentum. I think it's a big, it's a big thing in games, and they weren't able to really capitalize and, and punch it home when they had that, and then they couldn't get a stop. And in, in that scenario, you really don't deserve the game. I said in my preview that I thought Texas Tech would win the game on a touchdown drive at the end. Uh, it Didn't exactly happen, like a, like, a, like at the end end, but nonetheless, it was basically that that sort of scenario where they scored and then you uh, yeah. couldn't do anything at the very end. And as I also said in, the, in our game story, just how foreboding or ominous is it as a sign that literally as soon as Texas Tech scores the ball to take the lead, it just starts raining. <laughs> you know? Like, you could have yeah. rained any time in that game. It didn't rain at all once after the, you know, they had the one-hour delay. Mm-hmm. And then it starts raining as soon as ASU has to make its final drive. And I'm just like, yeah, you know. You know. The heavens are saying that's There's, that's there's a wreck. you know, it's just, you know, who knows, but there's something there. <laughs> the football gods. Football gods. some like to say. That's the way to do it, man. <laughs> but
0: uh, ASU will now look to bounce back, opening up Pac 12 play this week against Oregon, a new look Oregon, but also at the same time, kind of not a new look Oregon. 3 and 0 with wins over Nebraska, uh, Wyoming, and Southern Utah. They're averaging 56 points per game with their quarterback Justin Herbert and their new head coach Willie Taggart but uh, Chris like you've talked about the revamped defense with uh, Colorado's former defensive coordinator Jim Leavitt with
1: that defense you loved so much last year yeah I was I fully geeked out on Colorado last year (laughs) Um, at our podcast before Pac-12 play started last year uh, with Kerry Crowley uh, we said that Colorado would be a a sleeper to win the Pac-12 South. And a lot of people were like, what are you smoking? Like, the Colorado's never done anything in the Pac-12 South. That was a really good team because they had a veteran offense, well-coached quarterback, knew what he was doing. And Jim Levitt, is a stud football coach. What did Todd Graham call him this week? Just a ball. A coach. A ball coach. Just a yeah. ball coach. Yeah. And I, I don't. He's. Like, I don't know if you know what that means. As if there's like an actual definition for what it means, right? <laughs>
2: that's a high <laughs> praise, though. Like in any sport, if they yeah. just say he's a player or he's. Yeah, he's whatever, a ball coach. Yeah, whatever, whatever it is. That's high praise. <laughs> so they
1: they are extremely good structurally. The whole reason that Mark Helfrich got fired at Oregon, two years after they go to the national championship game, and that's a. Quite a plummet of for that to happen to you. Is their their defense was an abomination? That three years in a row, two years in a row, they three years in a row they get really worse. The last two years it goes for, to be like one of the worst defenses in the country. Structurally, it's not even sound. uh And even though they were still scoring points with a true freshman quarterback, four redshirt freshman mm-hmm. offensive linemen, those guys are now a year older, a year better. They're actually quite good, but man, a lot of problems. So now, they're they're a lot better on defense. They're maturing on offense, right? And it's not in, – in that respect, it shouldn't necessarily be a surprise that they've had this sort of rapid intensification back to being a good program. They always had good talent. It's like the good talent just disappeared. They went through a spurt where they were kind of younger than they should have been, but they still were getting players, and now yeah. they're really good again. And that's – that. All, you put all that – uh, and ASU struggles in a blender, and, and, and the Ducks are a 14-and-a-half point favorite at Sun Devil Stadium, which is a lot of points for ASU to be given up.
2: Yeah, it'll be interesting. I, I think just watching Oregon and the few times that we, we've we seen them, they start fast. And, you know, it, it's going to be interesting to see whether ASU is going to be able to weather the storm the same way they've been able to do it with other teams so far. They haven't been able to, They haven't been matched with the type of team that
0: they're going to be facing. So mm-hmm. it'll be interesting. Obviously, we'll get more into it in our premium podcast this week. But just before we finish up here, what's one thing you're going to be looking for for ASU in this matchup against Oregon?
2: Um, again, like the the slow slow start fast for Oregon. If ASU can keep up, um, uh, that's the one thing I'm really watching for. The other thing I'm, I'm paying attention to is whether Manny Wilkins can post better numbers than Wyoming's Josh Allen. Uh, I think that's something interesting because people were caping for him being a top-ten pick. And, I mean, Manny Wilkins has played well so far this year, so we'll see if he can continue that against the uh, – a pretty talented
1: defense. I would say stability on the offensive line, and especially handling uh, more intricate pressures, which which Jim Leavitt will bring. He'll bring uh, n- a nickel uh, blitzes on third downs. That that that, that could be a problem. in uh establishing a run game, and then on the other side of the football, it's uh, it's matchups. It's it's how does ASU's linebackers handle uh, defending what they have to uh, in this game. Uh, And there's really so many other things, but we'll we'll obviously get into all that on the premium side. And
0: again, like Chris just said and I have mentioned before, more analytical dive into the Oregon matchup against ASU that will come this weekend on our premium podcast. But that will do it for us here. Thanks for listening. And, uh, again, listen later on the week. Thanks for watching, listening, listening, watching, listening.